Today we're continuing our series in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and we're coming to the last of the Beatitudes. And today we're looking at the blessing of persecution. And it's been dubbed the blessing that no one really wants, the blessing of persecution. And with a sub- subject like persecution today, I'm surprised that so many of you have turned up. But um, let's have a look at it. We've been unpacking the, the Beatitudes over these past weeks and um, each, of, each of those have been preaching. In the morning, have been saying these, living out these values are only possible as God transforms our hearts, as God makes us new, as his spirit does his work in our life. And I've been really challenged myself to go through and to have a look at the progression of these Beatitudes, the way that these Beatitudes build one on, on another, and I can see that progression in my own life. And I'm sure you can too just want to take you on a journey through that. There was a time when I realised that I was poor in spirit, that in the light of a holy God I was spiritually bankrupt. There was nothing that I could do to merit my salvation. And out of that I was broken as a young fellow. I mourned over my sin. I recognised there needed to be a mourning in my life over my brokenness and a repentance, a turning around. So there was a humility, a meekness that developed in seeing that for me, I could only live my life as God transformed my life and as he gave me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, wanting to follow him and follow his ways. And then he changed my heart to be merciful because I realised I need to be merciful. I'd receive the mercy of a loving, forgiving God. And he called me to be merciful to those around me. And that required a purity, a purity in heart. What's that? It's a focus on God. It's something that is not tainted. It's something that's not contaminated by the world. It's saying, Lord, I recognise your way is the only way. And I want to walk with you with a purity of mind and a purity of heart that says, I will follow you. I don't want to get sidetracked. And then that leads us to where we were two weeks ago when Dan gave us a great message about being God's peacemakers, being peacemakers. And Dan unpacked for us the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is involved in that ministry of reconciliation. That's really our call to mission. Being engaged in the ministry of reconciliation in a broken world and working within a broken world and saying to people, there is a better way. We want to introduce you to a God that's got a plan and a purpose for you. We want to help you make your peace with God. That's God's call on our lives. Amazing thing happens when we become a peacemaker. Um, There are two paradoxes that have to be lived out or are lived out in that. The first one is that peacemaking can lead to persecution. Sounds a contradiction in terms. That's why it's a paradox. Peacemaking can lead to persecution. And the next paradox is that persecution can bring blessing. And I want to have a look at those two aspects of it today, those aspects of persecution. It's no coincidence that, uh, that when we get engaged in this ministry of reconciliation or peacemaking, remember the Apostle Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal to the world through us be reconciled to God. And so when we're engaged in that ministry of peacemaking, that ministry of reconciliation, 
we're communicating the gospel. And we know that the gospel can be an offence. It can cause offence to people. Why is that? Well, we know what Paul wrote, that for those that are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. But we also know that it's, it's offensive in a particular way. It's offensive to our own human pride. It's offensive to our self-sufficiency and our self-righteousness. It's offensive to our system of control. Oh, no one's going to tell me what to do with my life. I'm big enough and ugly enough to decide how I'm going to live my life. It's offensive particularly for us middle-class Westerners who have grown up believing we can do whatever we like, we can achieve whatever we like, We've just got to be mindful about where we want to go. And God's saying, no, come back in. I want to take control of your life. I want to guide you. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. And in our, the way we've been brought up is to say, hang on a minute, I'm master of my own destiny. And then the fact that part of the good news of Jesus Christ and the ministry of reconciliation deals with sin for some of us to think that we're sinners in need of a saviour, that's abhorrent. And so the gospel can cause an offence. And when an offence is caused out of the gospel, the pure and simple gospel, when we suffer persecution because of that, we receive a blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're persecuted because of the gospel for righteousness' sake, you will receive a blessing. It's an amazing promise. But we've got to draw the distinction between the persecution that comes to us because of communicating the gospel, in other words, for the cause of righteousness, and the persecution that might otherwise come to us as we live out, out our lives as Christians. Have you ever met an obnoxious Christian? A really obnoxious Christian? I'm pleased to say that I've only met a handful of them in my life, but there's one that takes the cake. And I know I've told this story before, but it's, it was such an experience. It's over 30 years ago now. And uh, Lynn and I were, were youth leaders at the time, and we walked down the steps. It was going to be one of those uh, times away when we went out to Luna Park. We walked down the steps next to North Sydney Pool there, down along the beautiful harbour and made our way along to Luna Park and here were two blokes witnessing there. And one of them looked at me and he said, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? So I thought I'll walk over and introduce myself to this bloke and have a bit of a chat. So I walked over and I said, g'day, um, how are you? Look, I just want to encourage you. You know, while you're doing this, there are some Christians that are walking past and isn't it great to know that we're going to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus? You're a Christian? Yeah, I am. Do you go to church? Uh, yes, I do. What church do you go to? Said Gerald Baptist Church. A Baptist church. Don't you know that your church was founded by a drunk? Now, I realise that John McKeague, a, a lovely Scotch fella, a Scot that came and uh, in 19, 1834 started in Sydney, did the first baptisms. He indeed had a battle with the bottle and he later spent some time in a debtor's prison, the poor fellow. I didn't understand then and I still don't understand how that fellow's battle with the bottle affected my eternal salvation. But this fellow outside Luna Park, he had no doubt. And he went on and he said, your faith is founded on a lie. 
I said, no, my faith is founded on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. No, no. No, your faith is founded on this denomination that was founded by a drunk. And this went on. And in the end, his mate that was next to him was trying to get him to settle down. I walked away and I was praying, Lord, send someone along to push this bloke backwards into the harbour. Get rid of him. He's not doing the cause of the kingdom any good at all. And I don't know whether or not he really suffered that night, some persecution or whatever, but I, you know, I um, was just thinking, I can imagine if he did, he'd walk in the door, go home and say, honey, I'm home. I had an awful night. I suffered persecution just for telling the good news. No. Any persecution that fellow suffered that night was because he was a total jerk, because he was plain offensive. And, friends, we've got to be careful about the persecution we might suffer. See, we need to make sure that any persecution that comes our way is for the cause of righteousness, is for living our lives in the right way, being respectful of other people. Because too often Christians are known for our intolerance, our bigotry, our narrow-mindedness and even our hate. And we misunderstand the fundamental difference between the so-called offence of the gospel and us being just plain offensive to others. For example, some Christians will feel entirely justified by uh, publicly condemning homosexuals or those otherwise caught in sin. We've seen images on TVs of um, placards, awful placards by Christian groups as they've standed out, uh, st- stood outside an abortion clinic and accosting women as they walk in and walk out. We've had the recent one on our news when a a pastor, a fundamental pastor was removed because he went into a Muslim prayer hall and started to create a disturbance. And so those images that are played across our screen unfortunately give our community an image of Christians that is all about what we don't stand for rather than what we do. So some will say, well, what are you saying, Brian, that we should stand idly by? while the world, you know, the moral decline and the spiritual decline of our nation kind of continues around us. No, I'm not saying that at all. Far from it. I believe, um, like um, Matt said last week, he talked about words and spirit and action and our own, our own value of justice and compassion here at Dural says we'll communicate, proclaim Jesus Christ in word, sign and deed. We need to be active. But when we are active, we need to do it in the spirit of those seven Beatitudes that we've looked at already. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way, They persecuted the prophets who were before you. There will be persecution. We've seen it right down through the ages. From the time Abel was killed by his brother Cain because Abel's sacrifice or offering to God was deemed more acceptable. Right the way through, we see the persecution. We've seen the persecution of Noah and Abraham and David right the way through the prophets to John the Baptist who was beheaded, Jesus himself all the apostles, right the way through the early church and right the way through the centuries up until now. 
And friends, throughout our world now, can you believe that there are, in a report just released by Open Doors, 215 million Christians that are being persecuted in our world. Not 215 million Christians that have been persecuted. 215 million people, Christians that are being persecuted. While we gather here today, around our world, Christians that number almost nine times the population of Australia are being persecuted for their faith. It's a staggering statistic. It's one in 12 Christians in our world today. A staggering statistic. In another report, the Catholic News Agency said this, in terms of the numbers of people involved, the gravity of the crimes committed and the impact, it is clear that the persecution of Christians is today worse than at any time in history. Not only are Christians more persecuted than any other faith group, but ever-increasing numbers are experiencing the very worst forms of persecution. And we know that with a, with a statistic like that, compared with all the persecution down through the ages, that shows us the gravity of the situation around our world. And all the st- surveys that have been done show that those, that persecution is only going to increase, including increasingly in Australia. So why this persecution? The Apostle Paul wrote this, For everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a very sweeping statement, isn't it? For everyone, not just 250 million or one in 12 people, but for everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he makes it because he's convinced that there's such a tension between the message and the way of life of Christians on the one hand and the values and the way of life on the, of the world on the other that tension is inevitable. Sooner or later, a committed Christian is going to suffer some type of persecution for the life they live. And so these words about persecution from Paul are not just relevant to the 215 million that are around our world today. They're relevant for you and for me as we live our lives. I've really been pondering on that. I mean, Dan spoke uh, two weeks ago and he said, are we a thermometer? You know, That's something that simply reflects the temperature around us. Or are we a thermostat, something that sets the temperature? And as I read that uh, verse of Paul's that everyone's going to be persecuted, I've been going through this week saying, Lord, is the reason I'm not suffering persecution to any great extent because I am a thermometer rather than a thermostat? I want us to be asking ourselves that question. Is it that my lifestyle is not that dissimilar to the rest of Australian society, so I don't stand out. Because the lifestyle of Christians that we read down through the ages that suffer persecution are radically different from the world in which they live. Is it that I am not the salt and light I'd like to think I am, and that together we're not the city on a hill that we're called to be, that we don't get persecution? Because we do see Christians, even in our own country, suffering persecution. Israel Folau is one. So let's have a look at Izzy's um, tweet. This happened almost a year ago as there was a lead-up to the same-sex marriage plebiscite. And he tweeted this. He said, I love and respect all people for who they are and their opinions. But personally, I will not support gay marriage. 
And so out of that, there came a whole lot of um, yeah, criticism of who he was and his non-acceptance. He was simply expressing his own opinion about how he felt about it. And then about six months after, someone um, tweeted and said to him, okay, Izzy, well, tell me what happens to a homosexual? What's their eternal destiny? And so Israel simply writes back and he says, hell, unless they repent of their sins and turns to Jesus. And, of course, everything then blew up. You know, people were calling for his sacking uh, from uh, the Wallabies. Australian rugby saw what the real um, issue was. They knew that if Izzy uh, went, so would a lot of their profits because he's such a draw card in the game. They simply told him to pull his head in, keep his comments to himself. Margaret Court, we saw what happened with her around the same issue. So here's the greatest woman tennis player of our time, who everyone respects, makes a comment about not supporting same-sex marriage. And what happens? They want to rename the arena that's called after her in Melbourne Park. I don't believe either of those people were out of line with their comments. They were opinions. They weren't ridiculing or causing harm or anything like that. They were making their own opinion and their own statement in the way others were, taking the opposite view. Other Christians doing that too in the public forum. Their objection was nothing like the jerk outside Luna Park. His behaviour was abhorrent. Actually, in regard to Israel's tweet, it's 100% right. Because the destination of everybody, not just homosexuals, but good, well-respecting, middle-class, uh, heterosexual Australians, anyone who ignores Jesus Christ, who walks away from him, their eternal destiny is hell. It's separation from Jesus for eternity. That's the reality and that's the sad thing about it. That's the truth of the scripture and we can't walk away from that. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the scriptures say. If we continue to ignore Jesus, our eternal destiny is separation from him forever. From him forever. Sure, some of us might express our views a little bit differently, but is that why we're not persecuted? I like what Israel said. He said, this is not about money or bargaining power or contracts. It's about what I believe in and never compromising that because my faith is far more important to me than my career and always will be. So another check for us. Is the reason that I'm not being persecuted because I'm not boldly living out my faith? Okay. Well, what is a way for us? If we're going to undertake this ministry of, of peacemaking and we're going to engage on this, what are some ways that we can probably build better relationships with people so that any persecution that we suffer is because the gospel, our, our friends find the gospel offensive rather than find us offensive, if you know what I'm saying? How do we negotiate being peacemakers? And make sure that our persecution is for the right reason, not for the wrong reason, if you know what I'm saying. So I think there are a few points. The first one is no, don't judge. We're not called to judge the world. There's one judge and he is coming back. Jesus is coming back and his role will be to judge the world. Acts 10 tells us that. And every one of us is going to have to stand before him and give an account of how we've lived our lives. Our role is simply to proclaim hope. 
to lift up the hope that Jesus gives and to, and to actually present that to people and to offer them the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop us expressing our views in the way that, um, that Israel or Margaret did, but maybe we've got to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves as we do it. The second thing is to recognise that we are in a battle and we need to pray in that. John Stott wrote this. He said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. And we can see that in our world. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's why we should be in constant prayer in what we're engaged in. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our constant prayer as we engage in being our peacemakers because it is fought in the heavenly realms and we need to have the Lord just equipping us and empowering us and giving us his wisdom and his discernment as we engage in our conversations with our friends. We need to keep being bold. We need to ignore the possibility of, of um, persecution. Persecution brings its blessing. I'll get onto that in a minute. We're told that persecution for the right reason brings blessing, so be bold. We saw that in the life of the, um, of the uh, Church of Acts, the early church, with the boldness that they did. They didn't uh, go and lock themselves away in monasteries that were with well-fortified walls. They kept on going. When they were persecuted, the persecution opened doors for more communication of the gospel. And we read that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. It's a resurrection of Jesus and it's a hope for all of us that comes through the resurrection that should be at the centre of what we're talking about. We worship a God for whom nothing is impossible. He overcame death. So we can, we can walk and communicate that with our friends who can have new life in a risen Saviour. And then we need to respond positively. Not to overcome evil, um, be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. As I said, unfortunately the church is known more for what it stands against than for what it stands for. And that's why we have worked hard at Dural to be a church who is engaged in its community and is doing something positive so that people know who we are. We can build a relationship of trust and we can communicate the gospel in that way. Um, in 1991, I know it's a long time ago, but 27 years ago, um, we undertook a survey of our area. And so there are about 10 people of our church that went through and rang up, 10 to 15 people each, so about 100 or 150 people in our area were surveyed. And in those days we had things that were called telephone books. I don't know if you know what a telephone book is. It's a great big book that used to sit next to your phone there. And, um, and so you could open it up. And we opened it up just um, anywhere. And you would look for the prefixes. You know, 9651 was Dural and 9654 Kenthurst, 9899 Glenhaven, 9634 Castle Hill. And you could tell where someone lived. So you'd open up the phone book and look for those prefixes. And then the first question was, are you aware of the existence of Dural Baptist Church? And only one in ten people knew that we existed. 
One in ten people knew we existed. Now, we always thought that if someone had a need, well, they know where we are, they can come and find us. Not only didn't they know where we were, they didn't even know we existed. So there was a problem. And the second question was, of our community groups, which one do you most respect? And the answer was the RFS and then the service clubs like Rotary and Apex and uh, Lions. They're groups that people respected. So as a church, we knew that if people were going to respond positively to the message of Jesus Christ, we needed to get ourselves in a position where we could build relationship, we could build trust, and people would know us that we could talk to them. And so that's what we've tried to do as a church. Because when people better appreciate our heart, when we can spend time with people, when we start to communicate the message of Jesus Christ, the offence that we then cause we hope will be because of the gospel only. When we fail to build those relationships and we speak into someone's life from left field, we become like this um, offensive kind of policeman who is unconnected with no right to speak into their life. So, friends, that's why we're on a journey as we are, to, to build those relationships both corporately and we hope as you do that with your friends and your neighbours, we can speak in. So that the persecution that might flow to us because they say, do you believe this garbage that you're talking about? Do you really believe there's a God? Do you really? It's about that rather than them taking offence to the way we communicate it and because we do that in a, in a bad way without connection. And then finally, there is a blessing. There is a blessing over persecution. So we should, should rejoice in it. Jesus tells us, when we experience persecution, when we're bold, when we're proclaiming things, when we're doing something positive in our, in our community, in our world, and we suffer persecution, Jesus says rejoice over it. Rejoice over it. Take the long view. This world is only temporary. Everything you're experiencing is only temporary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And we can be glad when persecution comes because we know that we're only just passing through this world. Our hopes, our joys are fully going to be realised we're in the presence of Jesus forevermore. And so that would be, I suppose, a message today, I think, that comes out of this persecution because this persecution follows from our role as peacemakers. So let's push on with that, friends. Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, which really mirrors the statement of Jesus. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will surely find it. I'm just going to pray as the band come up and um, I'm just, uh, as I do that, I just ask that we might, even when I finish praying, just turn to someone and uh, friends, if you're a visitor here, I don't want to embarrass you, just turn to your neighbour or anything like that. I'd love you to do two things as we finish this morning. First one is to pray for the persecuted in our, in our world today, for those 215 million people who are persecuted for their faith while we gather here. And the second one is to pray for increased boldness for each of us as we name the name of Jesus Christ and as we prepare to endure persecution. So let me pray and then, um, and then after we've done that in our groups um, together, uh, Dan and the team will just finish off for us and call us to stand and worship.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for these blessings that you pour out to us. And Father, we have the blessing of knowing you, of experiencing your love, of experiencing your grace, of your forgiveness. Father, of knowing that we have a a significance and a purpose and a hope forevermore. And Father, that is good news that we can't keep to ourselves. And Lord, as we communicate that to our friends, Father, we pray that you would give us a new boldness. That, Father, you would stir our heart with what we believe and what we experience. And out of, out of yeah, our experience of you, that, Lord, you would have us being bold in the way we speak about you. And then, Father, we ask that we might rejoice with any persecution that comes. We ask that you would give us opportunities to speak into the lives of, of others around us as your peacemaker. Lord, not for us not to be causing offence, but, Father, to be presenting your gospel and giving an opportunity for people to respond. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, friends, please just turn to someone next to you and just pray for those aspects. Then Dan will finish our time together.